So we've been in, um, in this series, Authentic Humanity, look, really looking and, and pulling out um, psalms and this whole beautiful aroma of worship that we find in psalms. And, and we're connecting it to our story. And I hope that as we've been inspired, as we've been journeying through psalms, to, to as a community and as individuals dive in and let the, the devotion, let the worship, let the, the narrative of the psalms of David and many others become part of our worship song to the Lord. I've loved being in this series. It's reinvigorating a sense of uh, my own individual devotion and worship to the Lord. So I've loved it. So keep going with that journey. But this morning, I do want to, if you've got your Bibles, you can pull them out. We're going to be in Psalm 27. And I want to, this morning in particular, look at um, two distinctives that we find actually throughout the whole of the Psalms, but I want to try and highlight it in the context of Psalm 27. And it is this, um, the context of uh, devotion and discipline. Devotion and discipline, and this whole sense of how do we how do we navigate through uh, our following of Jesus, walking with God in a way that is reflective of our devotion to Him, but recognizing in the midst of that devotion that our lives have to look like something, and that there are there is an invitation in relationship to God to live the normal Christian life, which is a disciplined life. So I want to hold these two things, which, which could be perceived as tensions in front of us and say, Holy Spirit, this morning, would you come and illuminate and help us and hold us in this journey of how do we live entirely devoted lives, where our lives are entirely a response to the beauty of God, but at the same time, really recognize there's a commitment and a discipline of, of applying uh, who he calls us to be to, to what our lives look like. Um, before we dive into Psalm 27, I've been, um, I joined a gym three years ago. Do you have friends that like join gyms and go consistently and then like talk about it all the time? Yes. That's me. I don't know if I mentioned, I joined a gym, go all the time, four or five times a week. Anyway, I go to a gym. <laughs> um, in this process of going to the gym, which was fun, I've actually, I've got some non-Christian friends, which has been a really exciting journey. They swear a lot, but it's really fun. And um, through this journey, like um, a real snapshot, like God's opened up this incredible opportunity. I now no longer pay for my gym because they've kind of invited me to, to counsel most of the coaches and to be available to develop some concepts for them around mindset, some Christian things. Um, and, and they've basically allowed me to write a whole bunch of stuff that they now are putting through all of their gym franchises. It's been a really fun journey. But part of that journey has been just getting to know the coaches and, and, and be somebody that can sit with them and, and at some level of counsel and just talk through some of the things. Amazing. Um, one of the beautiful young coaches, she's um, struggled with anxiety for 15 years, wakes up most mornings, tight chest and uh, a sense of anxiety around the day. And, and I had about an hour just chatting with her and God gave me this... Um, uh, he was challenging me to, to share my story of my daughter, Abby, who's 13, who struggled with anxiety. And I, I shared with her some of um, Abby's story and some of the way that actually God had showed Abby where the root of that anxiety had come from. Anyway, Ellie burst into tears and, uh, long story short, unpacked this whole story of her own childhood, which was the beautiful sense of God's presence with us as she just walked through this process. And I was able to pray with her. She's not had a day of anxiety since. Just amazing. But here's the thing I've noticed in my interactions with, um, with, with non-Christians in that, in that gym environment, and is that when, I, when they become aware that I'm a Christian, when they become aware that I lead a church, when they become aware of that concept, one of the first things I bump into with them is usually 
um, their perceptions of Christianity, maybe even just their perceptions of religion. Um, and often what is at the forefront of those conversations is their, uh, their inquiry around the way I live my life. They are wanting to ask me questions about, like, what are the set of rules that you live by? Like, what are the principles? Like, what are the set principles? That, that's, that's where the sort of conversation starts more often than not. But actually, as I begin to sort of unpack my faith and my journey and my relationship with God, that begins to reframe the conversation. It's reframed around relationship. And I suddenly begin to start to talk about a relationship I have with God and how that affects the way I live my life. And not necessarily just a set of principles, rules, or obligations that I give myself to based on the fact that I say that I'm a Christian. And so very quickly, it's, it's this whole sense of like, oh, there are, there are two ways to look at the same thing. Faith in general, we can look at it through the lens of we are principle, rule-following people, and that ultimately is the lens you could look at faith. Or there is a relationship formed and forged in the narrative of history and culminating around the life of Jesus and what he did to demonstrate the love of God for me. That is a conversation worth having. So there are two ways to look at the same thing. But as we explore today this whole concept of devotion and discipline, I want to give you the heads up. Listen, it's not either or, it's both and, which is what we find most of the time as we journey into the maturity of the normal Christian life. It's not often one thing or the other. It is a both and. I would say that there's a little bit of order that we'll find in the midst of this, but ultimately, actually, I believe that we can fully live lives that follow Jesus, that are entirely stem from the devotion, the relationship, the infrastructure of connected intimacy with God. But also through that, we can find a really disciplined life where our life lives as we walk with Jesus and he teaches us and he demonstrates the life that we can live, that we would find the disciplined normal life as well. And in Psalms, David and the other writers of the Psalms, their expression of faith in God comes primarily in this form of devotion. It is this beautiful incense of worship that we find scribed through the whole of Psalms. You know, it is them highlighting their love for God. It's highlighting what God has done for them. Their experiences in the situations where God has come through in his faithfulness. It's the descriptive ways in which David, through poetry, will pour out his love and affection because you get the impression he's describing the one he knows and loves. Psalms are not expression of deeply held principles and convictions that the writers are trying to teach us. It's, a, it's an expression of a love relationship with God that we get to step into and it gets to fuel some of our devotion too. But if you have your Bibles, let's dive into Psalm 27 and see what this has in store. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord and one thing do I seek, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tents and set me high upon a rock. 
Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your ways, Lord. Lead me in a path straight because of my oppressors. Do not turn over to the desires of my foes or For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusation. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is a great example of of many of the Psalms where you see this, this beautiful aroma of devotion that David has and you know, even as he begins that psalm, he's just making the, the description of how he encounters the Lord. The Lord is my light, my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. You know, you get some idea of the context of, of where David finds himself as he's been writing this worship song. We've talked about this before in this series, but you can imagine the challenge of his enemies. But then he's very quickly back onto focus. He's very quick to return to this place of devotion to God, his desire to be with God, to be near God, to be connected in intimacy to God. We hear those famous verses, one thing I ask from you, Lord, one thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. I love it because he's acknowledging the moments of challenge. He's acknowledging his humanity. This is one thing we've learned all the way through this this series of the Psalms. Like God is not afraid for us to own our humanity. He's not fearful of it. He wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have scripted the reality of Psalms if he wasn't giving us a big green light to be very real and honest before him. But at the same time, there's this constant repositioning that we find in Psalms where the writers constantly come back to this, no matter what's going on, no matter the circumstance of my life, I can find a place of devotion. I can find because of who God is, because of what he's done, and because of, because of the intimacy that I have afforded, because I've walked with him, I can sing. I can make melody. I can sing for joy. Like all of this expression is a pouring out of devotion. But I find it really interesting with David, even in this psalm, right in the very middle of, again, him returning to this devotion, pouring out his heart. He says this in verse 11, teach me your ways, Lord. Lead me in the straight path. I love the fact that even in this moment where there's great devotion, there's great pouring out, there's this great affection that David is, is, is stirring up and he's writing. Even in that moment of great devotion, he acknowledges this need for discipline. It's framed by the concept of, of stepping into a new facet of relationship where he, he says, teach me, Lord. It's still relational. It's not, hey, Lord, I'm going to go away and figure this thing out because I know there's various different principles and practices that I need to apply to my life. No, it's, it's, it's Lord, would you teach me? In everything I've known of you, which would be an invitation to devotion and intimacy, in the midst of that, in the context of that, Lord, would you teach me? Would I find a place where I could express discipline and grow, but in the confines of connectedness to you? 
There's intimacy there. But there's an acknowledgement from David that the sum total of his life is not just an outpouring of devotion, but that devotion could find its outworking in a disciplined life, that his life would look like something. And he invites the Lord to come and shape. And he he encourages himself to step out into a discipleship, a disciplined journey. And there's this beautiful weaving in this psalm of devotion and discipline. I think if I think about my own life, I'm, I'm more comfortable in, in the discipline space. I'm not necessarily very good at it. I'm just comfortable. <laughs> I, Sarah's a great list maker. Part of our um, early days as a married couple, we've been married nearly 20 years now. But, and so this, I was reflecting this morning, like, I don't get as many lists these days. I'm just going to assume that's because I've got a lot better at everything and just the stuff that she continuously had to list for me to do. It's just built into the fabric of who I am. I'm just a better husband. That's my assumption. Anyway, I remember these early days in our marriage where even like on a Saturday, like if if there was not something planned for a Saturday, there was definitely jobs. So I would get up and there would be a list on the kitchen, like there was a list. And then, oh, my day's off as well list on the year. like Sarah would go out to work she was a physio I'd wake up midday something like that come down list so I, I was very accustomed to like the framing of like how I would apply myself to a day based on like a set of achievements that I would need to make based on like there being a list in front of me and I do like there is something very consoling about having a list it sets some really clear parameters some really tight bounds like you can choose to do those things or not but ultimately it's very clear it's very black and white you either do this or not. <laughs> and so often I think that, that when we think about our journey with God and our following of Jesus, that, that, we, that we feel often quite safe in the confines of, look, just give me a list of do's and don'ts. Tell me what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do, and then I can just kind of apply my life to that. So at one level, discipline becomes a very, uh, very mechanistic. It becomes very um, lifeless. It can become... Uh, it can come with it a lack of relationship because it, I'm having more of a relationship with a prescribed set of things that I have to do rather than a person. And so I, I, I think, it, maybe it's just me, that I, I lean towards the safety of discipline. But actually what I find in Scripture is there is the continual invitation to a level of devotion, connection, and intimacy with God out of which I can live a a disciplined life. But it starts with that place of devotion. And I think that's what David is really helping us through not just this psalm but multiple psalms. So it's really helpful to acknowledge there's a difference between devotion and discipline. I'll highlight some of those things for you this morning. I think that discipline is my response to a principle. But devotion is my response to a person. This is what we find. Like with lists, I'm assigning myself a a responsibility and I respond to a list, to a principle of do's. But in my following of Jesus, my devotion isn't isn't a response to a principle, it's a response to a person. And in there, there's an invitation to a, a fabric of journey and relationship and connectedness. Discipline will lead me to try and acquire a set of lists, uh, lists and rules to do. But devotion will thrust me into a day-to-day relationship with the Father. I think that discipline says, I have to respond. But devotion says, I get to choose to respond. 
Like how powerful is that? In, think about the marriage relationship. The reality is I, I, I don't wake up every morning and try and remind myself of my marriage vows and say, oh, I need to stick to this because I, this is what I have to do. I said, it and, I said it and I signed a piece of paper. Like that's a contract. It's not a relationship. And yet in a devoted sense, I get to choose to respond. And it's the same way with God, that, that ultimately we're not, we're not forced to respond at all. He's pointed his love for eternity at each one of us, at the whole of humanity. And humanity gets to choose. Do I choose to respond in love to God? Do I get to choose? And this is our daily devotional. It is our response to God. We get to choose. Discipline says, that's the line I've got to reach. But devotion says, how far can we go? Discipline points to the list. But devotion says, take me by the hand and let's go explore together a future that involves you and me. And that's the beauty that we find, that, that the whole of Scripture from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, is a story of redemption. Not of just our ticket to heaven, but the reality of, of the infrastructure of our relationship with Father God. That he would send his son, his one and only son, to live a life we could never live, to die a death we could never die. And such that we could deal with all that separates us from the love of God. And yet now we get to choose to live in the light of that love. I think that Jesus the one that we follow, I think he demonstrated, I think he understood, I think his life reflected what it is to live from a place of devotion, not just discipline. I want to say this, I think that it wasn't, it wasn't discipline that took Jesus to the cross, I think it was devotion. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't a principle. It wasn't a job list. It wasn't a thing he had to do. It was you and I, his joy that was set before him, that fueled him to go to the cross. It was you and I. It was a, a personal relationship. It was his devotion to us. It was God's devotion to humanity. It was love that moved heaven to earth in the life of Jesus. Devotion is written all across the gospel story. And yet we get to live that devoted life in response. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't a principle he had to achieve. It was a people he wanted to save. In Psalm 27, again, like with many of the other Psalms, is David's expression of this beautiful interaction between a devoted life, his entire response to the love of God. And yet right in the middle, teach me. I want my life to be reflective of this thing that I'm so devoted to. And so it is the, the coming together of, of devotion and discipline that is to mark the normal Christian life. I think that it is a devoted, disciplined life that we're to discover. Discipline that comes out of and is fueled by our devotion. You know, there were probably moments when I did the things on the list because I knew that I'd be in trouble if I didn't. But deep down, I love Sarah. And so I, I want to respond with the things that she needs by 
my devotion. And you can ask her, I get it right all the time. But you can't not look at Scripture and not identify there is a real, there's a profound reality of, of living a disciplined life. Matthew 16 says, take up your cross. There's a high, high value placed on discipline. It's not us all just floating around, doing whatever we want, whenever we want it. There's a life of connected love relationship with God that fuels and inspires living the normal disciplined life. That's it. It's what, it's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. We talk about this often, but the simplicity of being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is more akin to being an apprentice. And the thing about an apprentice is, is apprentice life was defined by two things. I am with the one I'm apprenticing with, and I'm becoming more like him. And this is the beauty of relationship that we get to live in the normal Christian life. We are called to, to be with Jesus. And in the context of that relationship, we're called to become like him. Let's jump into the New Testament really quick. Um, because I, I want us to understand that this, that this is not a mechanistic thing. There's beauty that we find in devotion and discipline. Mark 14, verse 3 to 9. It's a story probably most of you will know, but it says this. While he was in Bethany, he's talking about Jesus. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar, poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why is this waste of perfume? could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And then Jesus pipes up. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing. You know, the beauty of this moment wasn't just that she'd been disciplined to raise the finances to afford the perfume, and that in some way in her heart she'd, she'd consecrated that perfume to Jesus. It wasn't that part of the story. It was the going. It was the breaking open. It was the extravagance. It was the outrageous nature of what she did. Sure, there was some discipline in there, but there was a whole lot of devotion. And, and Jesus' response, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. I don't think he was just talking about the smell in the room. I think he was acknowledging the journey that, that had taken place to get that woman to where she was. It was the sacrifice, it was the extravagance, but it was also the story of the fact that that perfume cost money and there was a discipline behind that story to why she was even able to be in that place to have that extravagant moment with Jesus. You know, it's the aroma of worship that we bring to God through our devotion to Him that is demonstrated through what we do. We don't play lip service to it. It's not actually just about singing songs in a room. It's about what does the nature of my devoted love relationship with God look like when I get out of this building? When the rubber hits the road. And our disciplined life may be considered to be extravagant to some, but it flows from a devotion. It's for one person and one person only, and that's Jesus it was interesting that they, they wanted to make a commentary about what the woman was doing. And Jesus, in that moment, he said, it's not about what you think about this situation. It's about me and her. The context is really irrelevant. The extravagance and the devotion that that woman showed was beautiful. Quick second before we close, um, let's jump back into the Old Testament. 
think there's something that we have to realize that in this devoted life, it's about the position of our heart. It's about whether we are prepared to give him our all or whether actually we don't. It's about whether uh, you could look at my life and say, is Phil's devotion to God, is Phil's pursuit of Jesus, is his following of Jesus, is it wholehearted? And there's two kings, not the book in the Bible, two kings I want to point us to. It's Hezekiah and Amaziah. Let me read this to you. Hezekiah, who was a king, and in 2 Chronicles 31, it says this. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commandments, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. That's King Hezekiah. King Amaziah, 2 Chronicles 25, verse 2, just says this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. And if you follow the story of Amaziah out, you discover that he was a king who was consistently hunted down by his enemies. He lived most of his life under threat of being murdered. And eventually his enemies catch up with him and murder him, i.e. he didn't prosper. And so you've got this con- con- uh, um, contradiction, you've got this contrast between, between King Hezekiah who did everything right in the eyes of the Lord and Amaziah who did everything that was right in the eyes of the Lord and one who did it wholeheartedly and another one who didn't. And the outcome of their life were, were drastically different. See, I believe that we can sit in this room together next to people who are all following Jesus and we can do exactly the same behavior, our discipline, to the person that's next to us. But we can have a very, very different outcome based on the position of our hearts. And this is what David was going after. This is what's modeled throughout the whole of Psalms. It's it's how do we connect our life in such an authentic but wholehearted way that responds to everything of who God is in every moment that we get the opportunity.